Welcome to this week's episode of Eye of the Swarm, your deep dive into anything and everything related to Yellow Jacket Athletics with our production assistant, Elliot Sperry, the Big Sound Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and a couple weeks off here, the the most recent, Matt, our condolences to you and your family on the, the passing of Grandpa. Yeah, my grandfather, my last surviving uh, uh, grandparent on my mom's side, he died actually quite a while ago. It was about, I'd say, maybe a month, but... He lived in Custer, South Dakota, and for those of you who don't know where Custer, South Dakota is, it's a long way away. That's a long trip. Yep, it's about, I think I clocked it out at like 1,697 miles round trip, something like that. It's south of Rapid City by 40 miles. So there really isn't any good way to get there. We could have flown into Rapid City, but it was actually cheaper to drive. And so we, my family, meaning me, my uh, mom, my sister did not go. Me, my dad, and my mom ended up going. But my sister couldn't make it for other reasons, which is a whole other topic. But... Um, yeah, we piled in the car and drove down and, uh, you know, went through the funeral process, uh, you know, trying to sort out his will and all that kind of stuff. It was gone for about five days, I think. And then I got back, but boy, I'll tell you, 1,697 miles in the car with your family <laughs> gives you an opportunity to reevaluate a lot of things. And, um, I am reevaluating my relationship with my vehicle because, um, it was my vehicle that got the, uh, drew the short stick and had to be driven. So, um, I got back to my condo in Duluth, and I sat down, and I thought, I could use a break for my vehicle now. It's the first time I've said that since I bought it, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a good trip in certain ways. I mean, we were able to see the Badlands. I mean, it wasn't all doom and gloom going right. to the funeral and everything, um, and the Badlands was awesome. I had never been there before, and I know you have, so it's a really unique place in the world. Mm-hmm. I, for listeners out there who have a chance, uh, you know, if you're in the Rapid City area or on your way that direction for whatever reason... Um, you know, and you have some extra time, make sure you take a detour and go to the Badlands because it's, it's actually pretty cool. I mean, we saw some bison, we saw some bighorn sheep, and you, you will never see, I don't think, at least that I've seen, you won't see a landscape that looks quite like it. No. It's very unique. It is. I mean, I don't know how you describe it. Um, one of my friends on Facebook described the f- fact that she kind of freaked out because she felt like she was on another planet mm-hmm. because it looks so different from what you would normally see. Right. Um, I thought it was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Like that I was the word that came to mind. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know how many times you've been there, but this is the first time I've gone. It was just once. Okay. I, we went in 2015. Uh, it was a, a family trip. Okay. You know, so we didn't have our son yet. Me and my wife, my mother, and my sister's family piled into two vehicles. Okay. And and drove over there, and uh, it was a long trip. Yep. You it's do, a very long trip. You do reevaluate the vehicle life. You uh, yep. You know, you you know, I love my mom, but that's a lot of miles with mom. It's a lot of miles a with everybody. A lot of miles with mom and a lot of fighting over who has control of the radio. Yep. You know, that kind of stuff. But uh, a, a great trip because we did the whole Mount Rushmore thing. Okay, and, right. You know, and uh, Crazy Horse and the Bad Lines and all that. And it was it was really spectacular. Yeah, it's a spectacular part of the world. Um, you know, it's tough because the eastern side of South Dakota is straight up Great Plains. So when you go through, it starts to get better once you cross over the mighty Missouri. And then you go into, um, you know, the, the second, I quote unquote, second half of uh or the other side the western mm-hmm. side of south dakota but the black hills and the badlands are spectacular areas um just physically beautiful and so uh that was kind of the saving grace of going out there i mean the service was very dignified and it was nice uh, the burial was very How dignified. Old? he was 93 okay that's a good run yeah and he had been actually in hospice care since last december so he had actually hung on for a long time i mean this is a man who had survived stage four lung cancer at one point in his life when he was in his 70s, and we still can't figure out how he did it. 
But, I mean, the man just wow. refused to die for many, many years. And, you know, he ended up getting dementia at the end. And right. uh, then he was put in the hospital. I don't mean to laugh. No, I mean. <laughs> you say he refused to die. Well, I mean, it, it literally is sometimes that's what I had it comes a great aunt to. like that who just. Yeah. She just wouldn't die. Yeah. And she had so many ailments. Yeah. And even she would say, I just want this to be over. Yeah. I'm, I'm tired of. I'm tired. Yep. I'm tired. And she just wouldn't. And when, you know, even before that, when he was, when he had late 80s, early 90s, well, he died in his early 90s, but when he was like 89, 90, you know, he talked about the fact that there were a lot more days behind than ahead now. And so this was kind of the, you know, this was the swan song for him. And sure. he talked openly about his will and what he wanted and for, for when he died. So, I mean, it followed through pretty much exactly to plan. Um, so, you know, it was... It's tough. I felt bad for the pastor that performed the service because he was brand new. Never really knew my... Oh, that's difficult. Yeah, and so I was wondering how he was going to approach it, but he gave a nice sermon. And um, Yeah, I mean, the weather was nice. It was a little bit breezy, cool. The sun was out, though, a lot of blue sky. So um, it, was, it was as pleasant as it could be, I think. That would be the best way I would describe it. I mean, for a, you know, we, we took three or four days on the round trip to get back and uh, to go and get back. Um, it was an intense three or four days. I mean, you spend a lot of time in the car. You spend mm-hmm. a lot of time, you know, you, there's no good way to get to Custer, South Dakota. There's just, you know, the, it's in a location that's very remote. And right. that was on purpose. That's what my grandpa wanted. And so, um, but it, it's physically beautiful country. So um, if you're not going out there for a funeral, and I hope you're not, <laughs> uh, make sure you hit up the uh, Black Hills and uh, Badlands National Park because right. they're both spectacular. Agreed, 100%. So yeah, condolences on on the passing. Oh, I and, appreciate uh, that. Thank you. But you also said a mag- magic two words: beautiful weather. Yes. And this fall, so far, technically it's only the second day of fall. But the the fall for the fall sports season, the weather has been spectacular. It really has. We have not had a bad day for an outdoor sporting event yet. And we are recording this on the 21st, yep. 22nd, 22nd, 22nd yep. of September. Usually by this point, we've had sideways rain, Yep. you know, 40 mile an hour wind off the lake where it's been bone chilling cold. It's been perfect so far in September. Usually when we have uh, home games in the fall, the first week or two is pretty good. And then the bottom just kind of drops out and it gets colder and colder and colder. But yeah, it's been really, really mild and quite pleasant, actually. There hasn't mm-hmm. even been a lot of wind, which has been surprising to me, uh, living where we live. Right. Because one of the features, of course, of having a big gray lake out your window is the fact that it the wind blows. A lot. Yeah, a lot. Right. And so I've been just, you know, over at NBC when we've been doing soccer games, I've been shocked at how little wind we've had. I mean, there has been wind, yes, but not nearly what we normally have. Which is sometimes gale force winds, right? You know, and, and, and uh, Sunday, I think for the the men's match, Sunday was the first time where we've said, okay, wind's a factor, yeah, because it was windy, it was steady, yeah. you know, at twenty twenty five miles per hour, and uh, definitely blowing a tailwind for right. for one team for each half. So it was, you know, it wasn't variable, it wasn't a crosswind, it was a tailwind, and uh, that's the first time all year we've seen that. Yeah, it yeah, was I mean, reminiscent of the the Northland baseball game. Yeah, you remember um, that, those wins back in yeah. April. <laughs> For those of you who are not regular followers of this program, um, that baseball series of Northland was unlike anything that I've ever seen before. And I, maybe we'll talk about that with our guest as we move on here. But um, that <laughs> that was a bizarre four day or two day stretch of four games. Um, you yes. and I talked about it openly, but that was one of those where the ball was just flying out of the place. 
And for those, it's of you a who, band box anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's well for those of you also who do not know the soccer stadium that we're talking about now is literally right behind that baseball field. So like the conditions don't change much. No, if at all, you're only 500 feet apart. Yeah, exactly. From home plate to you know the entry gate of the other ones. So right, yeah, yeah it's, it's it literally right next. All. They're all the same. Yep. So, um, but even in doing the game so far, or or going to games to watch so far this fall. I can't tell you how many times I looked over at the flagpole and just seen it pretty much limp. Yeah. Which is a rarity. And on Sunday, it was starched. <laughs> yeah, it was starched, just blowing right away. Um, and that'll probably continue. But, uh, yeah, we've lucked out. We have. For the first month here, so mm-hmm. big time. Yeah. I Saturday was inline marathon day, and I always have some nervousness about what the weather's going to be like because you, you don't want a headwind. Right. You know, if it's a wind coming out of the south, I mean, it's... It's going to really be a battle if you have to fight through 26 miles of that or if you have rain because a slippery surface is much harder to, to right. navigate yep. Yep. Than, than a dry one. And I think this Saturday, and this is the sixth one I did, this is the best weather we've had. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. How did you feel during the race? I mean, I, I we talked about this before. I know you didn't do a lot of training. Probably no, I learned, the- you know, I learned you can finish, but it's not recommended to do it without... <laughs> without training because um, I, I usually try to make sure I get somewhere between 100 and 150 miles over the summer built up right 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 before I go into race day and this year I had 14. <laughs> I, I did one training skate in June on the Munger Trail where I went seven miles out seven miles back and okay. uh, felt real good okay and then in July my son brought home the mother of all summer colds that's right I remember you texting me yeah. about that yeah and it just it, it knocked me down and so I didn't I wasn't gonna get out and, and train I was beat right yeah and then the next thing you know I finally got through that it took me several weeks I got through that well then <laughs> you're in August and Athletes are coming back and schedules are starting and things are happening. And then the next thing you know, you're going, oh my gosh, I, I only have two weeks. Right. All right. Yeah. I only got 10 days. I've only got a week. This thing is tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's like, well, should I, should I drop out of it? Should I drop into the half marathon? And nope, too stubborn. You know, I, <laughs> I can get through it. And for the most part, it was okay. There okay. was a couple stretches in there where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. They're right. going to have to come and scrape me out here. And uh, luckily, those occurred. And within the next half mile, I got a downhill where I could coast for a little bit okay. and, and get my bearings underneath. And so I, I was – there. It, it, I felt worse okay. out there. I've absolutely felt better. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the weird part is this was my third fastest time. Oh, wow. And it, it wasn't tailwind aided. Right. Yeah. You know. Well, congratulations on that. Thank I had you. no idea. Yeah, that was my third fastest one. And my fastest one was the last one I did, which was 2018. Okay. And I, I beat my time this year. You know, my time this year was 15 minutes slower. Okay. But still the third fastest. Okay. Um, it came without any training for the most part. Uh, I lamented my horrible diet over the last couple of months, which happens in the summer. Right. And... If I go, but you go back to 2018, look at the conditions. We had a 10 mile an hour tailwind. Oh, right. Yeah. And this year we didn't have any wind at all. Oh, wow. If there was any, it was maybe one or two miles an hour as a tailwind, which is nothing. Right. So yeah. I started to think, you know, I probably wasn't that far off. Okay. 
right. from where I was. And if I actually would have trained, I think I would have beaten my my best time. Oh, well, that's that's interesting. I I know that uh, going into a situation like that where you haven't trained really at all, that can be nerve wracking. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it's you know you learn a little something about yourself. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you know. I mean. I know that this is your sixth one, you said, um, and I know it was an event that you used to look forward to a lot and you used to put in some pretty good training. Oh, I, I love it. Yeah. I, I absolutely love the event. Um, you know, and if it, the wife will ask me, are you going to do it again? Well, I'm already registered for the 2022 one, so the answer is yes. Okay. Um, Try to get some more training you in know, this time? I, I, I know I can make more time Okay. For, for training. It'll help when my son gets a little bit older. Right. Because yeah. I used to like to go in the morning. Okay. Right. Yeah. And when... I have, I've had to change that because you have to get up and be sure. a parent in the morning and be on surveillance to make sure he just doesn't take everything out of the refrigerator and all of that stuff. When he gets a little bit older and he can kind of start to navigate some of that stuff on his own, I can get up at 6 a.m. and go get my skate in. Right, yeah. And, and be home by like 7.30 and still have a normal morning without having right. to worry about who's going to take care of him. Right, So yeah. I, I, I know I'll be able to build in more time yeah and i i don't have a choice because i just invested in new skates <laughs> which is a pricey you know, investment well it is but it's not okay because we're really going off on a tangent here so i apologize but uh, for all the people who don't want to learn about inline skating but it, like when you when you watch the elites and you, you and i have both worked grandma's marathon right yep. for numerous years but you watch those people running and they they complete that course the elites the winners are going to come in right around that two-hour Yep, a little bit out. Usually the men are about 210 and the yeah. women are about 225. Yeah, so yeah. you're going to get, you know, on, on, a, on a fast time, right, you know, yeah. you might get a 207 or right, a Right, yeah, on a good running day. Yeah. yeah. And for the inline marathon, the elites, the men, like the, the course record is 57 minutes. Wow. That's moving right along. That's moving right along you're, you're on a 26.2 mile Yeah, course. you're over, you're nearing 30 <laughs> miles per hour. So these, they, they really go, but I mean, they wear body suits, right. aerodynamic helmets, and they have special skates that go with these. They're not your typical rollerblades or the ones you would wear playing roller hockey. That's what I have. Okay. So I, I made the investment into a pair of marathon skates, okay. which typically don't have as much ankle support. The wheels are bigger. Okay. Um, some have three of the large wheels. Some have four okay. of the large wheels. But these things go for like eight hundred bucks a pair. Oh yeah. And I was like, "There's no way I'm doing that." Then I started to do a little research. I found a pair that I think will will be good for my ankles. Okay. And those would go for about six hundred dollars a oh. pair. Still is very, nice very, very, very pricey. Right. Well, but, yeah, six hundred dollars for a pair of skates. For yeah. any of those people out there, there's this great thing called eBay. Oh, yeah. and you can find <laughs> some really interesting stuff on eBay. And I happened to uncover a brand new pair of this model that I wanted. Oh wow! Take a stab at how much. <sighs> eBay. Yep. I'll just knock off. Brand the... new, still in the box. Okay. I'll knock off from the six hundred. I'll go down. I'll be conservative. I'll knock it down 50%, say 300. 98 bucks. <laughs> so much for my theory. 98 bucks because going out of business, we're getting out of inline skates, we're blowing everything out. Come and get Oh, em. this is like a clearance deal. Yes. Okay. Come and get them. I found them for 98 bucks. Wow. Yeah, so in my mind, I, I justify it by going, I'm losing money if I don't buy them now. Well, yeah. So I made the investment and, and bought legitimate marathon skates 
which are going to feel incredibly different. I'm going to fall down for a while learning how to use these things because they're going to have a completely different feel. But I'm hoping that performance of those and a little bit of training is going to help me well, and that should set also, the personal record next year at 48 years old. That should probably also help your technique in a way too because I think that don't you have to kind of like work in your technique with those too? You do. And it's the reason that the elites – they have a, a low boot skate, like a hockey skate and a hockey rollerblade is going to come up well past your right, ankle. Yeah. These ones are almost like, as I'm pointing at my feet that nobody can see, almost like a sneaker, okay. a tennis shoe with wheels on the bottom. They don't have anything up near the ankle. So it's going to be a dramatic change. Mine still do. It doesn't go up nearly as high as the other boot does, okay. but it still has a little bit of ankle support in it. But the stride changes because it's a different stride than a hockey stride. It, right. uh, ice skate versus a rollerblade is completely different, and you can't push out the same way on wheels as you can on a skate blade. Right. And so these marathon skates will modify your stride a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it also the technique of it sort of makes your movement more efficient. Right. And okay. allows you to draw a little more power and a little more glide okay. when you need it, which obviously then in essence is going to speed you up. Right. It's sort of like, you know, and that's what I equate it to you being a hockey guy. It'd be like going from hockey skates to speed skates in a well, way. And that's exactly yeah. that's a great that's a great point. Because that's exactly what the the boot is like. It's okay. a speed skate. Okay. It's like a speed skate. And they a lot of times in the description of these models that they have they talk about how they are like a speed skate okay so that's that's exactly what it is but that's a dramatic departure oh boy is it ever from a hockey skate which i'm used to right yeah to a speed skate where you have very little in terms of lateral support in I'll, your ankles i'll be honest watching the olympic of speed skaters those guys kind of freak me out because especially the short track people yeah like i oh. mean the speed at which they're moving i mean we talk about hockey being a fast-paced sport and you know how fast and quick things happen in hockey because they're moving so fast on skates i mean these but these speed skaters i mean these guys can get up to 40 miles an hour right and it's crazy it is and, and when they crash they crash they really crash yeah and i've always felt my dad had a pair of speed skates he used to do a little bit of dabbling in it but it's incredible the amount of power they get and the amount of speed they get but it's a technique that's completely different. If you watch a speed skater versus any other like hockey skater, a hockey skater is going to have a hard time going to become a speed skater. Yep. And a speed skater is going to have a hard time becoming a hockey skater, Correct. I think. Because it's just I think the transition from speed skates to hockey skates would be easier. Okay. Yeah. I, I really do. You but know, it's, I still think the, the two very, very different techniques. Yeah. Well, and if you look at speed skaters, their hips – and their and their quads are so well developed because they get so low and they get so much mm -hmm. you know torque. I don't want to say torque is the wrong word, but so much like leverage when they're on their push offs. Yep, that they just go and go and go. Yep, you know. And I feel like it would probably be similar at a certain you, level. You, and you it, see it with the yeah. the elite inline skaters. And I I always make sure I'm up at the the start line because I like watching them just go off. Right when the when they have their their waves starting because they get out of the box so quickly. Yeah. And they immediately get low. Right. And, and stay low. They stay low, but you can really see the power that they are able to generate from their lower body. Right. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I can't get that low. Their glutes and their... I can't get yeah. that low anymore. I can't generate that kind of power, but also the equipment that I am have been using 
wouldn't allow me to generate that kind of power. It's like getting a new set of golf clubs. Right. You yeah. know, the technology has advanced so much from what I'm wearing. Right. That. And some of it is also the guy who's doing it, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I'm curious to see what happens. The, uh, you know, the, the, the package tracking says I should have them by Saturday. Nice. You know, so on Sunday, maybe I'll try to sneak out and. And put a mile or two on there and hopefully not break my teeth. <laughs> well, if I come in to work and I see you on Saturday with no, with like a gap, I'll know what happened. You know what happened. But yeah, exactly. Anyway, we went down a long rabbit hole there. So sorry about the people who could care less about inline skating. Let's talk sports. Let's talk sports. Uh, men's soccer last week uh, split a couple of games, although one loss is sort of an asterisk, and I'll explain why in a minute. But uh, they are now 2-4 and four overall in the season and 2-0 and oh in the UMAC. They did uh, start out their... UMAC campaign defeating Northland 6-1 in their first home conference game of the fall of 2021 before shutting out the Lumberjacks 3-0 on Saturday at Ponzio Stadium. And then they lost in what was a very emotional day for them against UW-Eau Claire 3-1 on Sunday at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex. That game against Eau Claire, it, it, was, it was a tough one, I think, on a number of levels for the guys. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a second. Um, were you there that day? I was still in transit. So from Yeah, South I was there. Okay. I, I was doing PA that day. Okay, um, okay. I, I think I think it was tough one because it was back to backs. So right, they, they yeah. had played on Saturday and then had to come back and, and play that one on Sunday. But it was it was very emotional with with Ryder Woodworth's family there. Right. Yeah. And you know I sat down with Coach Mooney during the week to kind of map out what the game script was going to be like and how they were going to honor him during the right, game and yeah. everything. And I I made sure that I had read the script probably a half dozen times in my office. Make sure you get this right. Get it right, but yeah. get the get the choking up out of the way. Right. Because yeah. I had I had never met this young man, but there's there's still emotion in that. Oh yeah. And there's still a difficulty when you know his family is here and you can see the expressions of the players and read the message that was there. So I, I had to make sure I had all of that out because I didn't want to be choking up as I was reading it. It was an emotional day. It was. And I think that, you know, there was some connection also to the Eau Claire team. I think some of those guys probably knew him well, as well. As he, He's an Eau Claire native. Right, yeah. He was an Eau Claire native. He played his high school soccer at Eau Claire Memorial. So, yes, you know, um, and I, you know, I watched the, the pregame a little bit. I was able to catch a little bit. I wasn't there, obviously. Like I said, I was in transit still coming back from South Dakota at the time. Um, I was able to watch a little bit on my phone, and I thought it was very well done. I thought everybody, um, both teams, did a nice job at the beginning, kind of playing tribute to him, and, and I thought it was a very respectful uh, intro. And it's tough to play a competitive soccer match after something like that. Right. And so, I, you know, that guy said, it's a loss, not a bad loss. But anyway, uh, back to the game against Northland before we dive a little bit deeper into the game against Eau Claire. Yellow Jackets scored all three goals in the opening 26-09 in the second game, that uh, game at uh, Ponzio Stadium in Ashland. So they took care of business early and then just kind of cruised the rest of the way. Protus Babia, Blake Doye, and Harry Ambler scored for the Yellow Jackets. Peyton Anderson and Alex Parady split time and goal. Anderson made three saves while Parady had two stops for the Yellow Jackets. So they continued their winning streak in the conference. I don't know how long it is now. I have to go back and look. but uh, they I'd have to go back and look, too, because that's a... It's a number I don't know off the top yeah, of my head, and I feel it, bad I should. Yeah, I feel like I should, too. I, well, I mean, we can go back and do some easy research on that and find out, too. That's uh, that's the joys of what we do. Um, but again, so Claire, uh, Yellow Jackets actually fell behind 3 nothing, uh in that contest. Blake Perry scored the Yellow Jackets' only goal to stop the shutout at 81-43. But the big story, again, was honoring uh, the memory of Ryder Woodworth. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, who may be listening from somewhere else, uh, Ryder Woodworth was going to be a freshman on this year's team. He was going to wear number 12 for the Yellow Jackets. 
Um, and unfortunately, he died in a single car car crash um, in late August. I think a few days just before he was to come they, up to he campus. He was moving in the next day, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And it was a single car crash. Like I said, there was no other car involved. Um, I don't know what the investigation ever actually revealed about it, but um, we got notification on that in late August. And, uh, yeah, it's a devastating thing. Um, by all accounts, he was a great young man. He was an All-State player for Eau Claire Memorial, and, uh, you know, Coach Mooney has described him as sort of like a son, even though he had never played for him. So, um, and like you said, uh, Ryder Woodworth's family was in attendance in that game against Eau Claire. Um, so it, it's a tough day. It's, I feel like the result is secondary to uh, honoring Ryder Woodworth and his family. Um, you know, but the result is what it is. And, right. you know, now they're two and four on the season. So, uh, but big props. I thought it was really well done. And you deserve some credit for that. And Coach Mooney as well. I thought that uh, the entire ceremony before and during and after the game was really well done. So I, I, I give full props to Coach Boney and yourself because I know you were heavily involved in that. Yeah, it was. I think they, you know, and I, they, it went deeper than that. Nick Bursick, right? Uh, yeah. Tyler Birnbaum was involved in that because we we created some some signage for the locker room and for the family, and right. You know, did some graphical pieces for social media. So it was uh, it was a, a true team effort. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things I asked Coach Booney about before the season was if they were going to wear any kind of patch or anything like that. It was a little bit late, so they're all going to wear armbands, I think, this year yep, with number 12 bands. on it. Yep. So uh, there's that, but, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they decide to retire that number or not. I don't know if they will. Uh, I, I don't think so. From the message that came out, no. Okay, okay. They're going it, it, to – rather it'll... than retire it, they're, the person who wears it will kind of be the custodian of the number okay. is how they worded it. And I think that would be the best way. I think way that's to, appropriate. Yeah, the Ryder Woodworth uh, a jersey. Yeah. yeah so – um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's tough stuff. It is. So, uh, yes. people who don't know that was kind of in the background. We haven't discussed it much on this program, but the guys have been dealing with it all year. So, yep. um, that's, that's what's been going on behind the scenes as we've been talking about this. So now it's out in the open. Yep. So, but really well done. Yep. That was really well done. Good. Uh, women's soccer three and three overall one and zero in the UMAC. They split two games last week, falling to UW stout two nothing on Wednesday in Menominee before shutting out Northland four nothing in their conference opener on Saturday in Ashland. I got a chance to watch a little bit of both games. Um, I thought they played pretty well in both, uh, especially the Northland game. I thought their finishing was really good. Uh, they hung with Stout for a full half before the Blue Devils, who have one of their better teams in a while, by the way, um, scored twice in the second half. But, um, you know, they continued to roll right along, uh, right on course for where they want to go at the end of the year, which is hopefully the NCAA tournament. Anyway, against Stout, the Blue Devils, like I said, scored both goals in the second half. Jenna Lang made the start for the Yellow Jackets, played all 90 minutes in goal, and she had 12 stops. Against Northland, the Yellow Jackets got two goals from Nia Wilson, who's already up to six for the year so far so she's got six in six games wow. now this year for the yellow jackets additional tallies from allison alessi and hallie carlson carlson's goal was a thing of beauty by the way uh header into the upper corner off of corner kick which that you can't place it any better than she placed it that was and she's a freshman from uh, nearby hermantown so congratulations to her morgan philiber and lang split time and goal philiber made one save to pick up the shutout yellow jackets i think outshot the lumberjills 35 to 3 or something like that for the game but uh Actually, you know, looking at that game, they could have scored six sure, in that game. But four w- will work. Four works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Two in each half, you know, get it, get it that way. So um, that's uh, where women's soccer's at. Volleyball now 3-8 and eight overall, although they are 1-0 and oh in the UMAC. They lost two of three matches last week. They failed the UW Stout in Bethel by identical three sets to one scores on Saturday at the Robertson Center in St. Paul before sweeping Northland 3-0 last night. 
And again, that was heard on 91.3 with yours truly on the call. Well, parts of it were heard on 91.3. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's another story as well. We had some signal issues last night. And if you heard me last night, you probably heard some exasperation in my voice that we kept losing signal. But um, the upside is they played well and they won. So <laughs> we'll talk about those issues at another time. And there might be some extra four-letter words also thrown in the mix at some point. But uh, uh, yeah, this they is played well. This is a family well. program. This yeah. is a family program. Uh, so we will spare the listeners of that here. Um, against Stout, the Yellow Jackets fell 25-20, 25-18, 20-25, and 25-22. Cassie Taff, who's had a good start to the year, had a triple-double with 11 kills, 14 assists, and 13 digs. Against Bethel, who was ranked number 24 in the country at the time, by the way. The Yellow Jackets lost by scores of 25-13, 23-25, 25-14, and 25-16. Taff again led the way for the Yellow Jackets. She had 13 kills and 12 assists, while Lexi Preed had 12 kills and 10 digs. And against North and the Yellow Jackets, it was neat and tidy. I mean, they played well. I thought they were very clean. Actually, Northland didn't play badly either. I thought mm. both teams played pretty well for the most part. Uh, but the Yellow Jackets win at 25-19, 25-17, and 25-16. And Preed had a big match for the Yellow Jackets. She had 20 kills and 18 digs and hit like 390, I think, for the big match. So, um, And she closed out each set yeah, with a kill or an ace. Yep. So, uh, yeah, the Yellow Jackets uh, looked good. And uh, they've got a busy week coming up. And we'll talk more about that in the last segment. Men's and women's golf. Men finished tied for seventh at the St. John's Fall Invitational, hosted by St. John's at the St. Cloud Country Club and Blackberry Ridge Golf Club on Saturday and Sunday. It was a two-day event. Yellow Jackets finished in seventh place in a tie with St. Olaf with a score with of 639. Excuse me. St. John's took the team title. They had two teams there. But uh, their first team took the uh, team title with a score of 580. Cody Stanish led the way for the Yellow Jackets. He placed 24th with a two-day score of 157. The women, meanwhile, finished fourth at the Marion Invite, hosted by Marion at the Whispering Springs Golf Club in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. The Yellow Jackets finished with a team score of 784 for the two-day event. Stevens Point took home the team title with a score of 735. Sky Kobanis led the way for the Yellow Jackets, placing 19th with a two-day score of 199. And then men's and women's cross country, last but not least, they both ran at the St. Olaf Invitational, hosted by one of my two alma maters. <laughs> I'm familiar with that course, by the way. It's a great cross-country course that they ran. This is the same course of, with the running of the cows, right? Yes. Okay. Actually, but this was not the running of the cows. No, this was not. Actually, I th- well, maybe it might not be because Carlton hosts that one. So unless... Oh, that's a Carlton race. Yeah, that's, that's right. a Carlton. Is, is it the same course? No. No, I don't it's think not. so. I think Carlton has their own. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be cool if they could uh, do it at St. Olaf because St. Olaf has a great cross-country running course, but... Anyway, that's another story. Men finished tied for seventh at the St. Olaf Invitational on Saturday with a team score of 269. Derek Mose had a career mark running the 8K in 26.29.5. He placed 35th individually and was the top UMAC runner in the field, and he was therefore named UMAC Runner of the Week for the second straight week. So congratulations to Derek Moe. Women finished 12th in that same meet with a team score of 347. They were led by Nicole Koski, who posted a time of 26.31.7. So that was the week that was. The week that was. And, uh, yeah, well, onward and upward we and go. And it's only going to get busier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we're only crazier from here. We're just a few weeks away from crossover season, if you can believe that. So yep. when the uh, the winter sports crank things up as well. But we'll uh, we'll take a quick time out here, pay some bills for the with the folks that allow us to be on the air. And when we come back, we'll be joined by the new baseball coach here at UW-Spirit, TJ Oaks. That's coming up right after this. You're listening to Eye of the Swarm. Can I borrow the sports page? Are we sure we're ready for this expansion? Of course we're ready for it. It's a great idea. Let's celebrate with a vacation. (laughs) 
I'm thinking Hawaii. We're ready for you. Is it okay if my friend comes with? Of course. Imagination's always welcome here. Bring us your best ideas. Let's see how we can help. National Bank of Commerce. Imagination's welcome. We're back on our next segment of Eye of the Swarm, and uh, I guess we can't really call it a round table. It's more of a triangle table at this point, as we're we're joined by the new head baseball coach here at UW-Superior, TJ Oaks, and we'll let you know that the next time you're on, you'll probably have a player, so the table will become round. Right now, it is a triangle, because it's just the three of us. But thanks for coming by. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, this is... Uh, Always kind of a treat when we get the, the new blood in the room. Yep. Uh, they don't know what to expect. I can sense his nervousness a little <laughs> bit, you know. But what's, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the – it's hard to kind of well, – maybe it was a whirlwind. I don't know. And uh, Talk about the, the, the applying for the job, the getting hired, and the, and the getting here. You know, it is, uh, it's always exciting. It's uh, a moment of trepidation and all of that when you, you take the dive in and get the new job. So what's all that been like over the last Absolutely, couple of months? Absolutely, yeah. It's been uh... – it's been fun, um, but it's been also a challenge. Uh, it's a lot to learn, um, a lot to do, and a lot to learn in a short period of time. So, um, but like I said, it's been a fun challenge. Um, spent pretty much the whole summer recruiting with St. Mary's, so I was on the recruiting trail. So that was good that I was able to have a head start on that. Um, right when I got the job here, I wasn't behind. I already had a list of kids um, who I wanted to go after. So, um, spent the whole summer recruiting and found out this job opened and applied for it and. Obviously, got an interview, and and here I am today. But um, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for to take the next step um, to be a head coach at the collegiate level. I love the Division Three level. Um, I love the fact that you know kids don't have scholarships tied to them. They're they're playing for the love of the game, and I think you can make more of an impact here um, on the field, but more importantly off the field in these kids' lives. And that's what I've truly loved about being part of the Division Three level here for the last six years. And um, I see it as a great fit. It, University of Wisconsin Superior has been a great fit. Um, I think it's just it's full of just genuine blue collar, hardworking people. That's who I am, and um, so that's everyone around here that I've met. That's kind of what they've been. They've been very, very welcoming. So it's uh, it's been a great start so far. It's really interesting, and I had a, another question I wanted to ask, but he he went a different direction with this. So I want to expand on that a little bit because you you were a Division One athlete, yep, and <clears throat> there's usually I, I don't want to say a, a stigma. Rich McKenna is only Rich McKenna can articulate. It calls it the D3 stink. And when you're you, where you kind of get pigeonholed as a D3 guy, therefore you're not skilled enough, you're not capable enough to be a Division Two or a Division One guy. You're a Division One guy. And a good one. And yet you're you you had you're you're attracted to elements of the Division Three level. And can you can you expand on that a little bit? I mean, you talked a little bit about it there in your answer, but expand on it a little bit more because that doesn't happen very often. No, where a Division One guy says, "I really like what happens here." Hundred um, percent. I think going through the playing experience, Division One, obviously it was a great experience, but you do run into the scholarships, um, people just tied to their scholarships and people performing their sports based on scholarships. And like I said, like I hit on already, the Division three level of kids are playing because they absolutely love the game. There's no scholarships tied to them. Um, they want to be at practice. They want to get as best as they can be. Where I feel like sometimes at the higher levels is kids are just there to be there because they got a scholarship, but they don't truly love the game. Um, that's kind of what I've experienced. Some um, just the passion for the game, I think, is 
is at a higher level at the Div- Division three level from what I've experienced. Um, like I said, a lot of the reason base, there's no scholarships tied to them. Um, you know, they don't have to be playing. They're choosing to be playing. And um, ever since I got the job at St. Mary's, I, I've just loved the fact that that's what this level is about. Um, you get to spend more time with these kids. It's not baseball, baseball, baseball 24-7. You get to spend time with these kids off the field and develop them as people. Um, at the Division One level, honestly, you know, it's it's a lot about winning. It's uh, winning. To, you have to win the Division One level. Not that you don't have to win at Division Three level, but you can kind of take a different realm to it um, and help these kids and prepare them for life. You know, the chances of a Division Three athlete going – going on to play professionally is is pretty slim we all know the numbers um so our job is to prepare them for life after college um, prepare them to dominate life and that's that's my main mission as a coach is to help these guys and give them life skills to be successful in life after college if they get a chance to play professionally awesome um, but if they don't get that chance to make sure they're fully prepared to dominate life that's a good way to put it i think um and it's a first perspective for the athletic department because we haven't had a former professional athlete or a former all big 10 pitcher like yourself like you were for the gophers back when you, in your playing days um really come in i think be able to articulate that viewpoint i mean we've kind of talked about a little bit how it's different between the divisions whether it's one two or three but that's what i really like about d3 and i'm glad that you said it coach is the fact that um none of these kids have to be here like they're not getting any money here yep. to to do this. They're here because they love to play baseball, and they're here because they want to go to school, yep. and that's why they're here. They're trying to make them their lives better as an overall, getting a degree and getting to play a college sport, and that's where uh, you know that's so unique. I think to the Division three model. Um, not that there aren't D one athletes that want to do that, because there are, I'm sure, plenty of them. But there are other factors that always come in at those levels, at the scholarship levels, like you said with the scholarships. For sure. And so for D3, the fact that it is really fully voluntary, I mean, a kid can say, look, this isn't for me, and not lose anything and still go to school, is, you know, that's, that's unique. And I, that's one of the, the pure aspects of Division three that I really like. And I don't know, John, if you agree with me on that, but that's kind of how I, that's how I view it. I mean, that's one of the things I like. And the same thing even with D2, because the scholarship dollars that are getting there, like at UMD, there aren't a lot of them. I mean, right. there's not a ton there. Yep. Some of those kids that are quote unquote on scholarship are getting five hundred dollars a year. So yeah, they're they're getting a box of pencils. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like, you know, they're when you say scholarship, there are different levels of scholarship, you know, that you're getting at the D one level. You're getting a lot of full rides, and we all know about that because it's been talked about in the media, you know, ad nauseum. But at the D two level, when they hear scholarship athlete, they think, oh, he's getting all this money. Or she's getting all this money. No, they're not. Most of them are getting, you know, if they're lucky, they're getting fifteen hundred a year, you know, which mm-hmm. isn't a lot. So um, at the D two and especially the D three levels, I just really appreciate the fact that kids really do have to buy in, want to be there, want to play their sport, and want to get an education, and that's just a really cool thing. And like you said, more important to dominate in life and dominate even on the field for on a sure. Certain level. And what kind of introduced me to the Division three level is my younger brother. Uh, my younger brother played at Augsburg. So he's a Division three athlete, and that was kind of my first introduction to Division three. And going to watch his games, it's this level is still very, very good, very competitive. There's a lot of Division three athletes that could easily play at a higher level, um, including my brother. My brother could have easily played at a higher level. He chose Augsburg. He chose the Division three level. Had a great experience. He had an unbelievable experience. Um, that's what really steered me towards the Division three level too. It's just watching him, watching um, the impact that he made on that university, and uh, 
and how he was ready to dominate life after college, that's really drew me in. Um, so that's kind of what introduced me to Division Three level, my younger brother Tanner, um, when he played at Augsburg. You've used the phrase dominate life uh, multiple times here so far. Where, where, where does that come from? Um, pretty much stems from my dad. Okay. Um, kind of the philosophy that he used. He's he used that a lot. Um, in baseball, we use a lot of um, ATD mentality, aggressive, trusting, and dominant. Um, you want to be aggressive when you're on the field. You want to be trusting. You want to trust yourself. You want to trust your abilities. You want to trust your teammates. You want to trust your coaches. So trust is all-encompassing. Um, and then you're out on the field to dominate. Um, you're out on the field to dominate. You're out in the classroom to dominate. You're, you're out in life to dominate. If you don't have, if you're not on a mission to dominate, um, you're not reaching your true potential, in my my opinion. Um, so that's that's where it stems from. My dad was big into that. Um, he had an all-in mentality. His biggest phrase, especially when he was going um, through his cancer treatments, that he was going to go all in. Um, whatever he was doing in life, he was going to go all in on. He said, "Never, you never want to do something in life and not go all in on it. You'll never reach your full potential." Um, so the all-in and the dominating life, the dominate whatever you do is kind of the philosophy that he has instilled in all of us. You know, um, I, I like the fact that you brought up your dad a little bit there because um, I'm a longtime Gopher fan and Gopher baseball fan, and I know all about John Anderson. I know about your dad's background, um, and I watched you play, which was a treat for me. Yeah. So it makes me feel old at a certain <laughs> yeah. point. You know, Small world. <laughs> yes, and I was broadcasting uh, while you were you know, playing for the University of Minnesota. Um, I know that, you know, in when your father passed, there was a lot of mourning going on in the baseball community, and I mourned as well because I, I was a great admirer of your dad. How much of your dad's overall philosophy for coaching, because he coached for a long time, and he coached under a coach in John Anderson who's been coaching forever, how much of their philosophy did you take and have you taken into your coaching career? Yeah, pretty much all. Um, okay. My dad was, was my mentor, uh, my best friend. Um, you know, someone, it was just, he was the rock, rock okay. of our family and, um, obviously gone way too soon, but the lessons that he taught us along the way was, he's the reason why I'm coaching. Okay. Um, he is the epitome of why I'm coaching. My older brother's a coach. My younger brother's a coach. We're all in coaching. It's in our blood and our dad is the reason why he is instilled the philosophy in us of how it's more than just baseball and it's developing young men. Um, so he's... His philosophy that he used throughout his years with the San Francisco Giants, with the Minnesota Gophers, is is kind of what I'm trying to instill here. Um, that as long as I coach, I'll continue to use the philosophy that that he used. Like he, like he hit on, he was very very well respected across the baseball community, um, very deservedly so. Um, just the way he did things, the way he carried himself. I don't don't think I've ever met a person that had more empathy for people. Um, that's what I think people truly loved him for. He literally had empathy for everyone. Yeah. He was able to relate to everyone. Even when he was going through his cancer treatments, he was always worried about other people. He always put others before himself. And that's what he instilled us a lot is you always want to be a part, part of something bigger than yourself. And that's what he has instilled us. That's what we continue to try to carry forward in our coaching careers. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of I'm listening to you talk about him going through his cancer treatments and everything, and I, I lost my dad at 54 to, to cancer as well. And, uh, it, it was difficult and our, ours was private and right. yours was so out in the open, mm-hmm. you know, I, how, and I, I did, it's, it's a little off topic, but I mean, how, how was that for, for you as, 
as one of his children to have all of that so out in the open? Was it was it difficult? I mean, obviously the whole process was difficult, but did it help having it so out in the open to have all that support or... You know, think, was it a little too public at yeah, times? Yeah, that's a good question. I think right away for our family, it was a little bit uncomfortable would be kind of the word to use. Um, just because it was it was on the news, it was in the paper, pretty much everywhere you looked, you saw, it reminds you of it. So it was a little bit uncomfortable. But later on, our family realized that it helped us out a lot because we had a lot of people in our corner. We found out we had a lot of people that had our back that supported us through it. Um, a lot of people that we could go to in tough times. And I think that's the biggest thing we took away from it is it's uncomfortable at first, but the more we realize is, man, like, there are thousands and thousands of people out there that our dad made an impact on and that we can go to uh, for help when we need it. And that so, was, well, I don't want to cut you off at all on this conversation, obviously, but that was the way I felt about it, being a longtime, lifelong Gopher fan too, was that people love Todd Oaks. <laughs> you know, it, it it wasn't just that there's another guy dying of cancer because there are, you know, millions that die of cancer, you know, throughout their life, you know, in the world. And I don't know how many, what the numbers are in the United States, but probably millions that die in the United States every year from some form of cancer. But the fact that Todd Oaks and the Oaks name meant something to that many people and that the media said, you know what, he's an important, they're an important family. He's an important figure in upper Midwest baseball and in the baseball community at large. You know, they need to feel some support here. So it was almost like the media kind of was trying to lift you guys up at a certain level mm-hmm. just by all the tributes and all the things that were said about him and and uh, all the influences that he had. You know, all the all the positive influences that he had on, or made on people. Um, I you know, sometimes people get on the media for you know being a little bit over sensationalistic, and that is certainly a problem. But I think in cases like that, it can really be beneficial. Because you can get an outpouring, you can get an outpouring of support for you know for stuff like that, and you know it's interesting for me because I know both of you now have lost your fathers to cancer. So um, yeah, it's a, a, John. I don't know what your what your feeling is as, as far as parallels go to what what TJ did, but or has gone through, but in terms of watching their father die from cancer. But <laughs> I don't know if there are parallels. Yeah, I mean, I suppose every every you know because they're I think they were very different. You know, ours was private. Right, yeah. Yours was very public. Ours was rapid, you know, a month from diagnosis to passing. Yeah, it went really know, fast. So it was very, very quick. But I guess if I have to draw a parallel, it's in, it, it would be in, you know, my, obviously not at the same level. My father was a, a youth sports coach. My dad was a firefighter. And that firefighter family is what really came in and lifted us and helped us because, he passed a week later we had a funeral and then we the family leaves and mama garve is there all of a sudden by herself and it was that group of firefighters that we got to make sure julie's sidewalk is cleared we have to make sure the grass is cut as she transitions into being a widow essentially and i think that's the parallel is those people stepped in and did that for a reason it was because ted garver made an impact right on yep. them and it was a short time that he was here, a short time that he was with those people. But in the end, the watching how they all came and rallied around our family and specifically my mother, it was the, okay, Ted, Ted's was a life well lived. And it's, it was shown by the outpouring and the impact that he made on those people and them in turn 
responding to us when we had, you right. know, that, that moment. I think that's the parallel. Yeah. Well, because I, you know, no matter how long it goes on for, dying of cancer, whether it's a month or six months or a year, um, you know, I, I think the emotions are somewhat similar. Sometimes the circumstances might be different. The context might be different. But, you know, nothing but the utmost respect for the both of you because um, I've been lucky enough not to have anybody in my immediate family die of cancer. So, and knock on wood, that continues. Um, but it's interesting to have this conversation with the both of you just because of that because you've both been through it in different ways, but both have lost you know, their fathers to cancer. So it's a, that's, that's where I was just kind of interested to see, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of, if there were any kind of parallels that you guys could draw from it. Right. And that's, that's as far as I'll go with it. Yeah. So. And as hard as it is, you know, it's obviously extremely difficult as John and I both know. Um, but I'm a huge believer and my dad was that everything happens for a reason. Uh, for example, when I was at St. Mary's, one of our, one of our athletes lost their fathers. Um, I still keep in touch with him pretty much weekly. So you're able to help others through different situations by going through situations yourself. As much as, you know, much as it's unfortunate that we have to go through that situation, there is a plan and that um, we're able to help others through difficult situations as well. So there's that to it as well. You know, my dad, he had the same attitude. And the, the thing that he said the, when all of it first started happening that is forever stuck with me is, you know, I was doing, I kind of did the, Why? Why, why you? Why us? Right, yeah. And he said, why not me? Mm-hmm. Why, why not? What makes me any different from anybody else? Why shouldn't I have to go through this? Why yeah. not me? Yeah. And that was sort of the, huh, moment of, okay, there is a different way to look at this. Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up. My dad actually published a book that's uh, labeled Why Not Me. Yep. So he wrote a book about his, um, all the way through, he battled cancer for four years, so pretty much his battle throughout four years, um, published it bef- shortly before he passed away. Um, and yeah, the title is Why Not Me? So that was his... So There's your parallel. It's funny that, yeah, <laughs> there it it's is. Funny that you there bring it, it up because that's exactly what his thought process was too. So that's, that's a very cool parallel. Yeah, yeah, very cool. But let's let's leave cancer in the rearview mirror. Let's talk <laughs> yeah. baseball. You know, that so you, you're finally, a couple of weeks ago, finally got to get on the field and, and start to have some of those non-traditional season practices. Let's let's talk about the Yellow Jackets. What are we what are we learning about our crew? Yeah, we're we're learning a lot every day. Um, we have a long ways to go, but that was you know coming in. I knew that everything was going to be new to them. So whenever there's change and then there's newness, you got to have a lot of patience. Um, just the way we run practices, the way we're doing things on and off the field, they're just new to all the guys. Um, so you have to have patience, but they're they're catching on. They're buying in. Um, that's kind of what I ask is buy in and have a great work ethic. Do those two things, I can live with whatever else happens. Um, so so far, so good. It's crazy. I was just talking to somebody this morning that we're already halfway done the fall. Um, it seems like we just started, and we're already halfway done. So we're eight practices in, and um, we can have 16 in the fall. So, yeah, just, just slowly evaluating. Um, I kind of knew going in that it was going to take me two weeks just to fully evaluate what we have and where we need to go. Uh, we're at that two-week mark, so I am starting to make some progress in that fact of knowing what we have and knowing what we need going forward. So just it, it was a slow learning process, but for me and for them. Uh, just for example, like the first practice, I tried to cover a week's worth of stuff in one day. Um, being a new head coach, it's just always learning experiences. Always have to have a growth mindset. Um, I knew in 
practice two, we made adjustments and went slower and, and just simplified a little bit. So there's always going to be adjustments that you need to make and um, always learning something new every single day. He talked about how it's hard to leave her halfway through. You know why? Because this is the first fall where we haven't had weather postponements in fall ball. <laughs> yeah. Because we're, we, we're yeah. always pushing yeah. these things back because of rain or yeah. snow, it seems yeah. like. And now this fall, we've talked about the weather a yeah. lot here today. You've had great weather for your practices. It's been awesome. There hasn't been one day. There's there's one day where there's a little bit of lightning. But other than that, it's been absolutely gorgeous. So, yeah, we'll take this as long as we can get it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, baseball in the upper Midwest, especially in the spring, <laughs> you know, you feel like you're fighting a, a, a losing battle at times, quote, unquote, losing battle because you're constantly having things shifted around. So for the fall to be as clean as it has been in terms of weather must be that much easier. One question I want to have for you, Coach, is I know you've got a fair amount of returners on this team from last year. Um, how important have they been to helping ease the transition from coaching staffs? Have, I mean, have, have they been a big boon to you so far in fall ball? Very, very important. Um, okay. It's key to have the returners, the upperclassmen buy into you. Um, that just, it's just a trickle-down effect from there. If you don't have the upperclassmen, you don't have the returners buying into what you're doing, it's it's not going to work. Um, it has some very, very key leadership, um, peer-to-peer leadership from the upperclassmen. That has been very, very key for us so far. So that is, like you said, it's absolutely crucial to have those upperclassmen, to have those guys that are used to something different, but to buy into something new because it's not easy. And that's what I told them the other day. Like Being a part of this program is not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Um, it's not going to be easy you know, being held accountable, being held to standards, and doing things a certain way um, at a higher level, but it's going to be worth it at the end of the day. Your expertise obviously falls in pitching. So, you know, an all Big Ten arm sitting across yep. the, the room from us, uh, an MLB draft pick. Yep, the son so, of a longtime pitching coach. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, there's obviously a lot of pitching knowledge inside that brain of yours. Pitching's always been the difficult thing here, and it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to recruit pitching here. It's hard to develop pitching here. So what, in your experience, is going to – finally get the pitching over the hump here without with no disrespect to anybody who's been here before mm-hmm. but facts are facts and and pitching has always been a difficult thing here for sure yep. so what what are you bringing to the table that's gonna make the pitching staff now and down the road better yep. i think it's all about structure having a having a very detailed year-long plan for the pitchers um, i don't think it's something they've ever had here um, structured practices a structured throwing routine um, for example we're using cones that it's almost like a little league like throwing routine, but that's what they need. They need structure to be able to. It's um, more command training than just throwing. I told them the other day, you never just throw a baseball to throw a baseball. You have to have a purpose behind every throw you make. That's when you're going to get better. So it's all about structure, and then a big part of it is is arm care. Um, I don't think there's ever been a structured, detailed arm care program here. Just talking to guys in the past, there's been a lot of injuries. And I think that is what's hindered the pitching staff a lot here in the past is shoulders and elbow injuries. Um, so a very structured, detailed arm care program will be crucial. I've already got them started on it. Um, they seem like they're enjoying it. Um, seems like they are liking how it making their shoulders and elbows feel. So and then development plan. I'm going to plan on shutting them down after fall ball for a little bit and then starting them back up around the Thanksgiving time and having a detailed throwing program so they're ready for the season. So to answer your question, I think it's just all about structure and, and having a detailed program that they can follow, not just, hey, you know, here's this, go do it, like having on paper of this is what you need to do and when you need to do it. 
we, we had that conversation a little bit a couple of weeks ago after uh, l- lamenting a disastrous Vikings performance on a <laughs> Sunday. We were talking a little bit about pitching and kind of the art of it and everything and how it, you know, I, it, it all starts and ends with pitching. And you said, yeah, you can only outslug so many teams. So that's the other side of it, the, the offense that, that you have here. We, we showed in the spring, and you called the number of games, Matt. We can hit the ball. Yep. Mm-hmm. We can hit the ball. So what have you seen out of the offensive side of it? Yeah, I think it's our strongest strongest asset on the team, as you guys hit on. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential there to, to keep going offensively. Like you said, you can only outslug so many people. you got to rely on pitching and defense. you got to be able to win games 4-3. to got to be able to win 2-1 to one games at times. Um, other times you need to outslug teams, absolutely. Um, on, on the back end of a long week, like, yeah, you might have to outslug a team 10-9. to 9. But, uh, yeah, offensively, I've been, I've been pleased. Uh, we have a little bit of ways to go with some guys, but I've been pleased of the base where they're at. Um, offensively um, I think I think trying to just ingrain in their heads that it's um, more than just it's about scoring more runs than another team no matter how you do it it's about yeah. more than um, just for example I asked for what what should be our goals offensively and people are saying averages home runs and this and that get that out of your head and more about find a way to score more runs than another team yeah. whether that means you have to sack bunt or that means you have to move a guy over um, it's kind of like a pack mentality. Like I said, we all have our different roles. We all have our different niches. Try not to be someone you're not. If you're not a home run hitter, we're not trying to hit home runs. We're trying to move guys over and manufacture runs. So um, it's just at the end of the day, our goal offensively is score more runs than the other team. It's as simple as that. So just trying to ingrain in their head that philosophy, that um, the unselfish philosophy of I don't care what my average is, I don't care how many home runs I hit, um, we're just trying to score more runs than the other team. Well, I feel like that comes down to fundamentals, too, um, because some teams are known as slugging teams. Some teams are known as small ball teams. I think the best teams do both, Mm -hmm. you know, like that can do both. I mean, in the past, we've been a team that slugs. We've been a team that, I mean, I don't mind. I think we had maybe six, seven guys that had multiple home runs last year, you know, and we hit right around 300. Scored a ton of runs, but we also gave up a lot of runs. So that's where the difficulty comes in is trying to find that balance. Because mm-hmm. um, we have guys that can hit, and you and I have talked about this. I mean, we've for years we've had guys that can hit. Getting guys to come in here, be able to hit the ball has not been a problem. Right. The problem has been you know trying to keep us competitive and keep our situation where we're not trying to win every game ten to eight. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we can win a game or two where it's ten to two or ten to three. That would be nice. You know, instead of having to say, well, we got five that inning, how many are they going to get next inning? Because, you know, I, I feel like the guys feel like they've always had to kind of slug their way through just because of that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they will probably become more comfortable in doing all those things once the pitching gets straightened out a little bit more. That would be my guess, you know. It, when you came up and you did your interview, I mean, part of your presentation was you, you put some numbers up from where things were a year, you know, for last season's teams. And then it, I, I guess, I mean, I saw just about every game that we played at home. Right. Yeah. And it was – you see it in front of you, but you don't understand the cumulative effect of it. And then you, you started talking about number of, of walks, defense, you know, and where all of that fell in. And it was kind of like, wow, this is, uh, I, I get it now why we were having to outslug because the, the numbers were extreme. Mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot of free opportunities. Yep. Free bases is what we call them. Yep. A yep. lot of, you put guys on free bases, you know, your chances of winning. It's kind of the free base war. If you give up more free bases than you get offensively, chances are you're probably not going to win. 
Um, and I think that's been happening a lot of just allowing more free bases than you get offensively, and that's just not a sign for uh, consistent success. Are you a big stolen base guy? Yeah, I like to be aggressive on the bases. Um, yeah, we'll be aggressive, sending runners. I think you got to make force the defense to make plays. Yeah. Um, so we're going to see first to third a lot. Yep, yep, put some pressure on the defense. Um, we might get thrown out a fair amount, but um, I think it helps you more times than, than it hurts you. Um, and then it gets in the defense head. Like I said, we will, we're, we're going to run hard to first every single time. Um, we will make it a habit to, to beat out routine to routine uh, ground balls. It's um, the more you put pressure on defense, now the chances of them making errors become higher. Um, if they're in the back of their mind, man, these guys run aggressively all the time. Like now they're quickening up and um, now their fundamentals might go out the door and might try to go too fast. So yeah, being a very aggressive on the base will be very key. Talk a little bit about your recruiting philosophy because we, we talked a little bit earlier before you got here. You seem like you're a dogged recruiter. I, I think you've had somebody on campus almost every day that you've been here. So talk a little bit about that philosophy and all the, the stones you're going to overturn. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge passion of mine. It's something that I've always been passionate about. Um, and it's more than just recruiting baseball players. It's about developing relationships with these kids and their families. It's getting them to buy into what we're doing as well, the vision that we have here. Um, our athletic department is doing wonderful things um, as far as the enhancements that we're making. That makes it a lot easier to sell this place. So I kudos to the athletic department and the university for supporting athletics, for providing our athletes a great experience at the Division three level. Like I'm telling a lot of kids, it's – it's a Division three school, but we're giving our athletes a lot of Division one experiences, honestly, with some of the stuff that we're doing, uh, which is really, really cool, and that helps tremendously recruiting. But uh, like I said, it's it's about developing relationships at the end of the day. If you don't have that true relationship, um, it's not going to work. Um, example, when they when they get to campus, I like to spend a lot of time with them. I, I tell them a lot, as, as much as this is about you trying to find out if you're the right fit for us um, or if, you know, it's about me trying to find if you're the right fit. Um, not only if you're the if this is the right fit for you. So it's kind of a, a two-way street of trying to find the right kids from the right families to, to build this thing up. Um, but like I said, it's it's a passion of mine. It's uh, something I'll work relentlessly at. Um, recruiting is the lifeblood of any successful program. You have to bring in good kids, um, and you have to bring in the right kids. It's not only maybe the most talented kids, it's, it's a kid that you see, man, that kid's going to help us on and off the field. Um, that kid's going to make an impact for us as, as a leader. So um, just seeing different things and different kids and, and finding the right kids from the right families will be key. I was going to ask, you know, the talent's important, obviously. Yep. You have to be able to play, but to a certain degree, in some aspects, it is secondary because not every guy is going to be your most talented guy. You, you've got to recruit some glue, too. 100%. And you've got to recruit some sandpaper. And you've got to recruit, you know, I, I want some of those guys that I know are going to be a captain, that guy that I know is going to be a coach someday, that yep. guy that I know is going to, you know, like, like your father is going to make that impact yep. much wider than winning baseball games. 100%. Yeah. 100%. That's what it's about at the end of the day. Um yeah, like I said, it's A, number one, recruiting good kids from good families. When you surround yourself with good people, you do good things. Um, you don't, as a coach at the college level, you don't have time and energy to waste on dealing with stuff off the field. So, like you said, just as important as helping us on the field, helping us off the field will be will lead to ultimate success on the field. You ready for some rapid fire? Sure. This is the... Uh 
This is where I was <laughs> interested to see what the questions were because I actually brought this up last night um, during the volleyball or after the volleyball broadcast. I said, "What kind of rapid fire do you have for him tomorrow?" And uh, <laughs> he said, "You're gonna have to listen to find out." Oh yeah, and he said, "You're gonna have to be there <laughs> to find out." And anything, I said, huh? "I will." So this is really why I came here. Today. Yeah, it's just to hear yeah. <laughs> the story. This, this yeah, is sort exactly. of a, it's a quick get to know you kind of fun, goofy question kind of thing that I like to throw out sometimes, okay. and uh, you know. It's uh, I, I try to vary it up sometimes. Other times I, you know, I'd, if I know something is going to give me an interesting answer out of somebody, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll make sure I throw that in there. But yeah. I, I start them all out the same, and I think I know the answer to this one already because I think it was predetermined with you. Um, I think coaching was always kind of going to be the the vocation that you took on. But if you were not a coach, what would you be? Oof, a teacher of. Mm. Probably Fayad. Okay, we we, we get a lot yeah. of a lot yeah. of teaching. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people teaching. Lot of teaching. You know, yeah. I mean, McKenna wanted to be a surf instructor if he wasn't going to be a coach. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, right. uh, yeah. we do get a lot of yeah. the, a lot yeah. of the teaching. If there is a a movie, a biopic about T.J. Oaks, who plays you? Oh, jeez. Hmm. Who plays you in a movie about you? Um, Mark Wahlberg. Oh. That's, that's fair. It's the first thing that came to mind. There you go. I like his movies, so. Okay. That's fair Not, enough. There's no other I don't know if he why. can throw. I mean, we've yeah. seen him in, yeah. in football and in yeah. boxing, so maybe I would, baseball I was going to say Dennis Quaid, but I think he's left-handed. So he is that, a lefty. He's a southpaw. That one works. You know, and he's already done that one, so yeah, he's probably so, not going to come back yeah. and, nah. and do that for you. He's over that. Yeah. So, if, if Mark Wahlberg has to take some, like, six <laughs> months to learn how to throw a baseball so he can throw it like he can Kevin Costner, maybe. No, but he already did that in well, for love of the game. Yeah. But he is a righty. Yeah, he is so a righty. Could, he potential. He, yeah. But he did play a pitcher in that movie too. He so. did. He was <laughs> yeah. a pitcher. So <laughs> we're getting somewhere. You know, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. One thing led to another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What What do we have on our whether it's a record turntable, cassette player, CD player, digital player? What's on our music player right now? Uh, country. Classic country, eighties, nineties country, new country. Probably new country. Okay. What are our favorites? Mm, I'm not a big song artist guy, just country in general. Okay, honestly. Do you like the move that like now that country music is making a little bit more pop oriented? Is that a thing? Yeah, it's that's... not bad. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, not a bad way to go. I've had some purists a little tell bit me of twist and turn. Yeah. yeah. So this is it's, this is good to know too because then it helps me for when I have to set up a random playlist prior to a game. We, well, yeah, we, we definitely and, have a preference well, for country then. I, hopefully you won't have the coach coming up to yell at you about the music like you did with Coach Fracker, where she comes Correct. up and literally tells <laughs> yes. you that the music is wrong and yes, you need to that do better. I should not be playing it. <laughs> you can ask her that story sometime because she thought I was mocking her with really? my musical selections. When yes, it was, yeah, she actually When it was just up, one of those things that randomly happened, but she thought I was mocking up, her. She came up literally in between, in between games of a doubleheader. She literally came up and said, you're playing the music wrong, do better. If you want to get under her skin, <laughs> yeah. start playing Sweet Caroline and walk down to her office and watch All her right. just go crazy. Yeah, exactly. Keep that in mind. There's a whole story behind that. As we get closer to the, the month of October and the end, what was TJ's favorite Halloween costume? Oh, the easy baseball player. I don't think we had any other choice. So you're a baseball player every year? <laughs> Not every year, but, <laughs> but uh, more, Did you than wear once, more than once. Did you wear, just change yeah, the jersey okay. each year? We were uh, a lot of times Giants players. My dad was coaching the Giants when we were younger, so we had okay. a lot of Giants jerseys and stuff. So okay. A lot of San Francisco Giants. <laughs> What is the – I know the answer, and I'm, I'm probably going to have a follow-up. What's the perfect ballpark food? Hmm. I think the classic hamburger. A hamburger over a hot dog? Yep. 
Wow. Yep. Hmm. Totally ruined my follow-up question because I figured oh, you were going to say hot dog. And oh. then I would have to oh. say, no, you can't say hot dog. What, what else would it be? <laughs> no, so beat you to it. Yeah. Okay. Is that yeah. your go-to then when you're out recruiting or you're at a showcase yeah. or something? You Class, go to the burger? Classic burger, yep. Where's the best can't, burger can't you've had? Can't go wrong. Um, there's so many places with good burgers. Um, can't really name one right now. Can't okay. think of one. Let's see, because knowing that he went to school in the Twin Cities, I was waiting for him to say Matt's Bar, but he didn't say it. Because that, that, that's <laughs> because that's the burger I grew up with, and that's where I always say I got the best burger because I had the Juicy Lucy, the classic. I grew up with that. My whole family has gone to Matt's Bar for generations. So when the Matt's Juicy Lucy became like world famous, I was like, yeah, well, yeah, because I knew what it was, yeah. yeah, and I'd been eating it since I was, you know, and I miss those. So I was just waiting to see if there's, but like, okay, so name a few places where you've had really good burgers that you just. Oof, now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> That's the point of rapid fire. Yeah, I am. Uh, it's, uh, now I can't even think. Well, there's a lot of them in the cities. That's why. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. And yeah. probably some in Winona, I would guess, too. So yeah. When we're seeing yeah. Those. Uh, I'll have to find some good burger places around here yet. There are a few. So we no can give problem. you some recommendations. Yeah. 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 No problem. No problem. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. But yeah. I can't go around with a good burger. So um, I'm not too picky when it comes to that. So I'm a, a Broadway guy myself. Did you ever, I, I mean, being a, a pitcher, you knew there were certain days you weren't going to throw. So, if it, it, did you ever sample in Big Ten ballparks? Uh, no, okay, I didn't go. <laughs> didn't go. You hear the stories about no. the guys in the yeah. bullpen who have oh, hot yeah, dogs yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. So I thought, you know, yeah. well, a lot of times too, you like you'll go down there, especially at, at the pro level, and you'll see them down there eating. Yeah, like, who knows what? So <laughs> a, lot, I, I a, lot was, of, yeah. a lot of times, I was the one doing the pitching charts, so I was preoccupied with the game. Is that how you, as the pitcher, you pass the time on a non or off day? I guess. I use the air quotes. Is that how you pass it as charting pitches? Yeah, yeah, and it just keeps you in the game. Um, it's big for, you know, if you're potentially going to pitch against that team in the future, um, knowing what pitches worked against certain guys. So, yeah, it's it just keeps you in the game. It keeps you more locked in. One more will let you go. So you are presented with the opportunity to be the overall ruler of the game of baseball for one day, and you can make one change to the sport. What would you do? Oof. Wow. One change. Um, that a drop third strike is just a strikeout. Shouldn't get rewarded for striking out and getting to first base. That's a good one. Yeah. I was going to ask you. I've never beat. really gotten that real, honestly. Well, I, so you're talking to a couple of former catchers. Yeah, I was a catcher, and so, I, I'm with you because yeah. I don't want to have to make that throw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just another like, throw you, I don't want to have to make. You're you rewarding create an angle because there's a guy running, so you got to yeah, come out from behind. You're rewarding play. a guy for striking out. Like, I, I don't think it makes sense. Yeah, but. that's a good one. But yeah. I was, I was going to an electronic you. scoring software. That fourth out that you <laughs> yeah. have to put in the inning is yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't blame <laughs> you. What's uh, What's your feeling on the? Before we let you go here, and this will be a quick one. What's your feeling about the potential pitch clock idea? Do you like that or do you not like that? A um, little bit indifferent. Um, okay. I think sometimes it takes umpires' focus away from doing their main job and they're okay. focused too much on too many things. Um, but I do, I understand where they're trying to go to with it with the pace of play. Pace of play is getting a little. A little bit long, and especially with coaches calling pitches and this and that and numerous different systems to be able to do that. Some take way longer than others. So I do understand why they're trying to implement it, but I do think it is a little bit distracting as well. Okay, because I know that they're doing it in the KBO, and I don't know if Major Leagues – Major League is kind of 
they've they've kind of experimented, experimented with, with it. Yeah, with it, but really, uh, I, you know, I don't really know. I mean, I think the the proposal is somewhere between twenty five and thirty five seconds, something like that. I think in between pitches is what they're talking about. Um, Major leagues right now is having a big thing about foreign substances, so these pitchers are getting checked. Yeah, you know, every couple innings down by the umpires, it's almost like it's mandatory. That isn't helping the pace of play. I don't think pitchers are getting annoyed. Replay. <laughs> yeah, everything's know. getting replayed now. Yeah, so it's there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Well, yeah, and I think in some ways that replay system is good, but in other ways it seems like it takes a really long time. And it's the same way I feel about replay in any sport. Replay takes a long time. It mm-hmm. seems like it's taking a really long time. And I understand getting the call right, but it, it seems to really slow down the pace a lot. And it seems like in baseball, it really slows the pace quite a bit. For they, sure. The umpires stand in there and they look at it for what seems like forever. Right. Yeah, and they're and not even the ones looking at it. It's people. Yeah, yeah they're waiting the for somebody in you know Toronto <laughs> yeah. or wherever or New York yeah. to tell them if this is the right, you know. Yeah. yeah, nine times out of ten, the play-by-play guys on TV will get the call right. Yeah. You know, and they're like, well, we could have told you that ten minutes ago. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and some, some of them are re- pretty clear. Like, I mean, you can look at the replay twice and just go, okay. Yeah. yeah. He's either out or he's safe. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, um, yeah. I mean, that's 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 basically all I have. I. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, we, we both love the game of baseball, and I'm I'm excited too. I was excited when he interviewed. I came out of that thinking I'd like to play for him, <laughs> and I'm uh, I'm excited to see what you're going to do with this program. So, TJ, welcome to Superior. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate it, John. Do you have any eligibility left? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be nearly 48 years old by that time. I'll say the same thing. I'll tell McKenna I can give you one inning. Okay, I might count on that. Just as long as I, I might hold you to that's that. more than I as can long as I don't have to step out from behind the plate and throw it a first <laughs> yeah. because I dropped yeah. the third. There strike. we go. There we go. Deal. <laughs> if I have to do that, I'll be complaining the whole way. As I get up, I'll be murmuring oh my gosh (laughs) thank you very much for having me i appreciate it we're gonna take one more break we'll come back and put this one to bed you're listening to eye of the swarm orkers island inn is now hiring and there's a position just for you apply for front desk housekeeper bartender server cook and dishwasher we're hiring great people like you call or click for more information and apply today We're back for our final segment of this week's Eye of the Swarm, and uh, always fun to get new blood in here, whether it's a student athlete or a coach, and uh, good conversation talking baseball with T.J. Oaks. Yeah, T.J. Oaks, uh, of course, a big name. We talked about him uh, uh, earlier, his family history in the college baseball world. It's a big name, the Oaks family, uh, especially in the upper Midwest in terms of pitching. You know, his dad, Todd, now him coming to UWS, uh, he's one of the more high-profile hires that we've made, maybe the most high-profile uh, coach that we've hired since I've been here, and I've been here over a decade. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, getting to know TJ, he's a great guy. Um, you know, if you get a chance to talk to him, uh, do so, because uh, he is uh, high-energy, enthusiastic about what he's doing. He's been recruiting up a storm. <laughs> he's had recruits, I think, on campus just about every day it seems like since it. he's been here. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's going to be a boon to the uh, baseball program, and it's going to be fun to see the, the uh, program grow under him. They're uh, going through their fall ball season, their non-traditional season right now, Alumni Day, and their black and gold game coming up on October 9th. But uh, plenty of teams in action in the traditional season. And, yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a busy week. It is very busy. There's a lot of things going on, so bear with us here as we run through this. Uh, men's soccer will be next in action Friday, 
They begin the first of their back-to-backs. This is a new thing. I hate it. <laughs> I knew you were not a fan when the UMEC uh, announced this. Well, because they did this across the board. Yeah. You know, and it, it creates a lot of headaches personnel-wise when we get into the winter sports season with basketball and hockey going at the exact same time. I actually had a chance to talk with Archie Jeardrum yesterday on my way out from the volleyball broadcast, and uh, he's already was kind of gritting his teeth thinking about it. He was kind of like, oh, back-to-backs. And I've talked to Allison DeGroote about it, a women's soccer coach, and she said the same thing, and the athletes have kind of indicated this is going to be tough. This is going to be a different challenge. So uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But men's soccer plays their first back-to-back of the fall of 2021. They'll be taking on Bethany Lutheran, last year's UMAC runner-up, at 2 p.m. on Friday, and then on Saturday, same time, 24 hours later, against Martin Luther. That'll be our next men's soccer broadcast, by the way, on 91.3. So hopefully people will be able to tune in for that. 2 p.m. there, 145, the pregame with yours truly. So hopefully the Yellow Jackets will have a couple more wins under their belt after this weekend. Women's soccer, same story. Versus Bethany Lutheran, they're playing the second game, though, the doubleheader. 4.30 against Bethany Lutheran on Friday, and then again 4.30. That's a tentative start time both nights uh, against Martin Luther. And Friday is Swarm Night. Oh, is it? Swarm Night. That's the... Uh as many students as we can possibly get into that place, let's do it. The men had theirs back a couple of weeks ago, and yeah. the uh, the crowd was great. Yeah, and the women deserve it because they've got a very nice team this <laughs> Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Um, uh, our next broadcast, by the way, again, uh, Game 2 against Martin Luther on Saturday, 4.30 p.m., tentative start time, and then 4.15, the tentative pregame. So check that one out. Uh, volleyball, meanwhile, they'll be busy this week. They're Friday at Bethany Lutheran, so they're flipping the switch a little bit or flipping the script. They're going down to uh, the North Gym to take on Bethany Lutheran for a 7 p.m. opening serve. Then on Saturday, they have a split doubleheader that day, which is going to be really strange. Um, and it's one of those things in volleyball that they do it actually quite often. Yeah, the triangle is not a, a rare thing. <laughs> no, it isn't. But this is a strange one because they head down to Martin Luther at 11 a.m., 11.30 a.m., excuse me, on Saturday. And then they get on the bus, head up to St. Paul, and will take on uh, St. Kate's that night at 6 p.m. at St. Kate's, and then they'll come back, and they will play on Tuesday at Hamlin at 7 p.m. So they have four matches in there between now and next Tuesday. So it's going to be a busy stretch for Coach Lynn Diedrich and the Yellow Jackets. And you think that's busy, watch for men's and women's golf. <laughs> so bear with me while I go they through all this. They crush an entire season into about six weeks, and it they feels do. like they play every day. The men and the women are both at the North Central Invitational today, which actually started as we record this on a Wednesday uh, they start at 9 a.m., 9.30 a.m. this morning at the uh, North Central Invitational hosted by North Central at the Les Bolstad Golf Course in Falcon Heights, Minnesota. Like I said, 9 a.m. they started this morning. Now here's where it gets interesting. The men are Saturday, Sunday, and Monday at the Twin Cities Classic hosted by Gustavus Adolphus at three different golf uh, courses. On Saturday, they're at the Lynx at North Fork golf course in Ramsey, Minnesota. Then on Saturday, they're at the Elk River Golf Club in Elk River. And then on Sunday, they're at the Wyzetta Country Club in Wyzetta. So our times are 11.30 a.m. on Saturday, 10.30 a.m. on Sunday, and then to be determined for Monday. So if you want to find out when they're playing that last round, go check uh, uwsyelljackets.com, check the golf schedule, and find out. So that's what the men are doing. <laughs> on the women's side, of course, like I said, they're at the North uh, Central Invitational today as well. They'll next be at, and I'm not sure, are these two different golf meets that they're going to be at now when it comes to because they're listed differently that are hosted by minnesota morris because one is listed as the umm invite and the other is the cougar invite on the two days are those two different events that's a great question i don't have an answer for you matt 
Okay, well, <laughs> they'll be down in the Morris area playing. Sorry, I don't have an answer. Two days of golf uh, hosted by Minnesota Morris and two different courses as well. I feel terrible at my job right now because I can't answer that question. Okay, well, get back to me on uh, that one. Okay. Um, on Friday, or excuse me, on Friday, yeah, at the um, UMM invite, they'll be playing that one at the Minnewaska Golf Course in Glenwood, Minnesota. And then they'll be, and this is the one I'm going to butcher, the Palm de Terry. Is that is that is that Palm de Terry? Never ter? played it. Couldn't Palm tell de Terry Golf Club in Morris on Saturday. Start times are 11 a.m. both days. But yeah, I don't even know if those are the if that's the same event or if it's a completely different event. I have no couldn't idea. Couldn't tell you. Okay, so that's uh, <laughs> that's where the golf teams are going to be. So for more information on that, go to uwslgenkins.com. Uh, and men's and women's cross country, they got the week off. So they've been real. I think they've run what two, maybe three races so far. Ah, uh, two. They typically go every other week. Yeah, they're not actually again until October first at the UW well, Eau Claire Blue Bowl. They have done three. Yeah. Okay. So my mistake. Yeah, they've got a they've got a nice hefty little uh, respite here now, mm-hmm. and that'll be on October first. So they uh, have a nice respite. But uh, yeah, a lot of everything else going on this uh, week. So yeah, it's going to be a busy time. And uh, again, for more information on all of that, go to ubsyelljackets.com. So that's that. Thank you for getting somebody. You are. We are. Who tennis. Are tennis is playing? Yes. Are they actually in season? That's their non-traditional season. Oh, and okay. They're, they're competing in the uh, the ITAs. Oh, that's right. That uh, The event that Gustavus hosts. Yes. Down at the Swanson Center. Yes. Yes. I forgot about that. That was something, actually, that Coach C.J. Uh, Schaffner or had... had uh, we talked talk, about yeah, that. Yeah, we talked about, about that. We had that him and Maya Callaway on. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of the equivalent of a couple of weeks ago when the uh, golf teams were down in Galena, Illinois for the Midwest Regional. This is sort of the tennis equivalent of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the way that they kind of described it is it counts, but it really doesn't count. It's like a, it's kind of like a warm up. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's it's sort of so. Yeah, I did notice that on the schedule though, and congratulations to them for getting involved in that because mm-hmm. I knew that uh, both teams wanted to get there. So yeah, so that's a that's a good event, and uh, it's a couple of days too, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's a couple day thing. Yeah, it's yeah, a couple day thing because they play both singles and doubles, I think. Yep. Yeah. So yep. so that's uh, that's also going on. So and, more uh, information on that same thing. Go to the website. You just leave all that out, and at the end, just say for more information on everything. Yeah, yeah, I should instead of just saying. I'll <laughs> well, well, save you some words on your script. The biggest thing is like with the golf, it's a hard one because mm-hmm. the times are you know some of the times are off. Times are goofy, and they yeah. they change times, and if weather is involved at all, it can change that yeah. too. Basically, so. anything that will change between now and when the next time we're on, um, go to ubsljackets.com. Perfect. See how easy that was. Yeah, it's like it's like a copyright at the end. It's like the. <laughs> It's like the end of a broadcast like statement. So, anyway, that's what's coming up this week, and uh, uh, looking forward to getting back on the soccer side of things. Uh, hopefully, volleyball can keep rolling along, and yeah, onward and upward. Because, onward like you said, upward. a couple of weeks before we get in the crossover season, that's when it really gets busy. So, yeah, that's when it gets busy. But at the same time, kind of excited because that's when I get to get. I that's get when you get up, to do your. I get your back part on the air it. finally. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so you get to join me yeah, on the air. I'm like a week away from starting the 30 days of jacket hockey, which is fun. So right, yeah, yeah there you go. It's, uh, I'm excited. I always like those nuggets, by the way. Well, you know, I, I, I enjoy doing the research. I've done, uh, I think I started this in 2013, if I remember right, 2012 or 2013. And uh, there's only been one nugget that's been the same. No. They're, they're all different. Well, that's, so, and that's the challenge of it. It is. It's getting, yeah. it's getting to be really hard. Yeah. It's getting to be really hard. So that I may get to the point where I start repeating some of these because it's, it's getting difficult. But I feel like if you put them in between like years like if you just mention them every so often in case somebody's forgotten right or something like that if you just mention that even that's just a suggestion i mean right yeah but yeah so it's uh it's fun doing the research but it's 
it's getting more and more difficult, that's for sure. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Busy week, crossover season coming up, but, um, you know, that's what we're here for. And we're and hoping for more good weather. We are hoping for more good weather. <laughs> I'll, I'll just leave up. it with that. I'll hold out for that as long as as long as we can have it. That is for sure. I know the, the golfers and soccer players would agree with you 100% on that. So until next week, Elliot Swery is our production engineer. He's the big sound Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and thank you for once again tuning in to I Have This One.